Okay, so I was in the book of Colossians before uh, this last week. If you remember correctly, it was Colossians chapter 3. And we were going to pick up in verse 5 of chapter 3. And I don't know if you, did did you read ahead in chapter 3? Did you read verse 5? Did you read verse 6, verse 7? And so as I read it this last week, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to get ready. This is the first service back. We're gearing up. People are going to be back in the building. And and we're going to have this first message on sexual sin and the wrath of God. And I thought, God, I love your word, but I just don't think this is the appropriate text for our first Sunday back. So, so I was like, Lord, what do I share? I just don't think this is where, like, we will go back to Colossians uh, here in about three, three or four weeks, but we're going to pause Colossians. And so I was thinking, okay, what, Lord, what should we speak on? What should I share? And I kept thinking peace, joy, hope. All these words kept coming in my mind as we're entering back into worship and into gathering. And so I, I, I formed, I, I came up with a message called Unshakable Joy. And then I kept thinking about it. I was like, you, you know what? I think this can be a series. And so that's what it's going to be. For the next four weeks, we're going to have Unshakable Joy today. We'll have Unshakable uh, Faith next week. And we'll have Unshakable Hope uh, the third Sunday. And then the fourth Sunday, we'll find out something that's unshakable. I'll have to come up with a new word. <laughs> unshakable Joy, Unshakable Faith, and Unshakable Hope. And so, as you think about the word joy, we're going to talk about unshakable joy. That's the title of the message here this morning, unshakable joy. When you think about joy, when you look in scripture, joy is not optional for the believer. Do you know that? Joy is not optional. Joy is commanded in the scripture. We are called to be joyful. And and I could have taken sections of scripture from the Old Testament all the way through the Psalms into the New Testament. I could have read here for probably 45 minutes, a 45 minute message, read all of those scriptures about joy and rejoicing and taking joy. And we could have just sat here and heard all of that. And, and we're, that's not what we're going to do. But that's the picture of what the scripture tells us. That we are called to be joyful. And joy... For the life of the believer, in the life of the believer, joy belongs to us. It is ours in Christ. Joy is our portion because we are believers in Jesus Christ. And so that's why scripture goes overboard, over the top, telling us to rejoice. In the middle of whatever the circumstances are, we have unshakable joy. But unfortunately, our experience is is that our joy can be shaken at times. We can, we can sometimes allow the circumstances of our life to shake our joy that we have in Christ. But, but look at just the New Testament. Look at Paul's letters. He says in Romans 12, rejoice in hope. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Philippians 2.18, be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Then 2 Corinthians 6.10, we are sorrowful, yet we are always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. And that's just Paul's letters. And that's not all of what's in the New Testament. Jesus talked about joy, about rejoicing. And taking joy. And so joy during these times, if, if this has been my experience, I know it's been your experience as well because we're all going through the same thing, is that it has been difficult at times to walk in joy. To walk in the joy that belongs to us. And so this is why I wanted to talk about unshakable joy. And as I was thinking of a text that we could camp out on and really look at the subject of discouragement and joy, 
I thought about Psalm 42. And many of you have read Psalm 42. You've read it, and it's a very famous portion of Scripture. But Psalm 42, some theologians say it was written by the sons of Korah. The other half that I read said that it was written by the psalmist David. I tend to believe that Psalm 42 was written by the psalmist David. Because it really is a close mirror to Psalm 63 that was written by David. Whether it was written by the sons of Korah or written by David, it really is not, that's not really the, the point here. The point is, is that this psalm written by the psalmist gives us a picture of somebody who is discouraged, but yet you can see under the surface there's hope and there's joy and there's trust. So let's look at Psalms 42 and we're going to look at this subject of unshakable joy, the subject of discouragement and joy. So we started a tradition here, just, uh, I don't know if you can call it a tradition, it's something that, that you just started, but I started something I would like to make a tradition of us standing as we read God's word. So could you stand with me here this morning in honor of God's word? We have 11 verses to read. You guys ready? Psalm 42. This is God's word to us. God speaking to us. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to exalt Christ, to preach the word, to exalt Christ. Pray that you would give me boldness and compassion. Pray that you'd help your people to hear and to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what do we learn about discouragement and joy from Psalm 42? Don't you see a conflicted psalmist? Did you, did you hear it as, as I read through it? He's discouraged but then he has hope he's discouraged and sad and tears are his food day and night but yet he says i will praise him he 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 just really exemplifies our life doesn't it we are sorrowful yet we're rejoicing we go through trials yet we have joy we we have situations that are overwhelming yet we have hope and i believe that this is a picture of discouragement and joy in this psalm and so i want us to look at what we learn about discouragement and joy from psalm 42 and this is the first thing that stands out to me as we read through it as i studied it is that discouragement is the enemy of joy discouragement is the enemy of joy 
What does it mean to be discouraged? It means you've lost courage. You know, I, I really didn't like when I was preaching to the camera and I, I didn't hear anybody respond to me. I would ask questions. So finally, I built up like a couple of Sundays ago. I was like, somebody needs to shout me down. I'm preaching too good. So Matt Carnes is back there running the camera and he shouted for me. I don't know if you heard that during the video a couple of weeks ago. Like somebody, I'm preaching too good for it to be quiet. So I'm, that's one thing I'm looking forward to is to, just to interact with you, to hear you, hear you respond. But to be discouraged means you've lost courage. You're a dis. Courage and discouragement when you've lost your courage, it is the enemy of joy. And this is what you see in Psalm 42. The psalmist has lost his courage, but he's conflicted. He knows the truth. And look, as believers in Christ, when we are discouraged and we've lost our courage, we still know the truth that God is faithful. He'll never fail. He never has. But in the middle of discouraging circumstances, those discouraging circumstances, just like the psalmist is experiencing, is the enemy of joy. It's the enemy of joy in our life. Look at what the psalmist says. I broke it down into categories here of what the psalmist is discouraged about. He's discouraged about distance from home and the house of God. Verse 2 and 6, look at what it says. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before my God? Isn't that how we felt? When can I get back to church? Distance from the house of God. Now we know that we are the tabernacles of the living God, right? But we also know that when we, when we come, when all the tabernacles, you and I, all the tabernacles gather together, it is one big tabernacle where God comes and dwells amongst his people. And this is what the psalmist is, David is saying. This is from the house of God and from home. And he says, I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon. He's talking about being in a faraway land. Even from Mount Hermon. Distant Mount Hermon. I'm far away from home. Far away from the house of God. Another thing that was bringing discouragement in his life was taunting unbelievers. Look at verse 3, verse 10. Day and night I have only tears for food while my enemies, what are his enemies enemies doing? They're continually taunting me. Where is this God of yours? Did anybody hear Governor Cuomo from New York, a press conference? He's always on TV giving press conferences and updates like a lot of the governors are. But did you hear them the other day, a few weeks back? They're talking about how the curve is flattening, and that's the new phrase, flatten the curve. So everyone's trying to flatten the curve. And he's talking about flattening the curve, and there was this idea that was spreading around that God had a part to do with it, that prayer had a part to do with the curve being flattened in New York City. And Governor Cuomo became a scoffer, vocally became a scoffer. And this is what he said. He said, God had nothing to do with that. He said it. You can Google it. Look it up. I I, I was like, I took a step back from where I was standing. I felt like maybe there'll be lightning somewhere in this world right now. He said, God didn't do that. We did it. Now, do do we have responsibility and and, and we have choices to make and there's things that we can do that will help the situation that we're in? Absolutely. And I I know what he's trying to say, but he said it the wrong way. But I think what happened was his heart came out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he wanted no glory to go to God. Taunting unbelievers. That was bothering the psalmist. Look, what else was bothering him? Memories of better days. Look at verse 4. Memories of better days. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. That's where we're at right now. Memories of better days. I remember what it was like to be, what, 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 what it was like before this era. 
You know, I've heard people say that we need to switch from B.C. and A.D. to uh, B.C. before Corona and A.C. after Corona. (laughs) And that's kind of what it's like right now. What, what did it used to be? And so sometimes when we think back in our life, especially during this time of what it used to be, it can bring discouragement. When, when will it ever change? Will we go back? And then the overwhelming trials of life, that brought discouragement to the psalmist. For, verse 42, 7, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. This is a picture of overwhelming circumstances. And the psalmist describes it of like waves, a tumult of waves coming over us. And that is what it has felt like, especially for those who've been greatly impacted by this virus. And here's another thing that, that Psalmist was experiencing that we all experience in our life. God's seemingly slow response. Look at verse 9. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Have you thought like that in your life? All of us have. God, have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Where are you? I thought you'd be faster. I thought this would be done by now. I thought we'd be back to where we used to be. God, why have you not answered? Why is your response slow? And in the middle of those discouraging circumstances that we all experience, this is what we experience in this life, this world that is broken by sin. These are the things we experience. And discouragement is the enemy of joy. It's the enemy of the joy that belongs to us in Christ. The joy in your life belongs to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And these discouraging circumstances, they beat upon our life. They beat upon our life every day. And then now, in these last eight weeks, it has been like focused in our life. And you know what happens when we're in the middle of those things? We start asking the same questions. We write our own version of Psalm 42. Did you know that you're a psalmist? I'm a psalmist too. We write our own version of Psalm 42. We, we say when. When God? When is it going to change? God, how? When? How? Why? Why is this happening? God, why? We start writing our own version of Psalm 42 just like the psalmist does. You know what also happens is that we start saying things that we would never say. Have you ever been in discouraging circumstances and you find yourself saying things that you would not normally say? I, I remember specifically sometimes my wife has to look at me and say, Ben, stop talking. Ben, stop talking. You shouldn't say that. That's what happens because we get so discouraged. We say things like, it'll never change. I'll never be able to get out, out of this. I might as well just quit, just give up. And we laugh at that right now. But ultimately, when you go from discouragement to hopelessness, when you've lost hope, that's a, that's a dangerous place. And you need to seek help. If you get to the place where you have lost Hope in this life. Look for help. Cry out for help. Call us at the church office. Find out what my number is. I will call you. I will talk to you. During this time, we are all under a heavy weight of burden and oppression and anxiety. And it steals the joy that we have in Christ. But if you go from discouragement to hopelessness and you feel like life is not worth living, reach out for help. Reach out for help. You know what we need? During those times when we are overwhelmed with discouragement, what we need is a perspective change. 
What we need is to begin to see things differently. And this is what the psalmist does. If you look back to the text, if you look back, you see his confliction. You see he's conflicted. He seems almost schizophrenic. He's discouraged and fearful and overwhelmed. But then he says, I hope. But I hope, yet I will praise. I'm discouraged and fearful, yet I hope, yet I will praise. What's going on there? He's having a perspective change. He's realigning his vision. And this is the second thing we learn about discouragement and joy, is that right perspective realigns our vision. Discouraging circumstances can rob us of our joy, but right perspective realigns our vision. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. There's mirroring verses, verses 5 and verses 11. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But listen to his perspective change. Listen to the anchor point of his life. I will hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And he says it again in verse 11. It's a mirroring verse. The psalmist shifts his focus to God. And so this is what I want to encourage you with in your life. And this is what I have to preach to myself. That when I'm in discouraging circumstances, I must shift my focus. Just as the psalmist does. We must shift our focus. We must have a perspective change when we're in times that we're in right now. Because I'm telling you, if, if you don't have a perspective change, it, this, the, the, the current culture, the climate we're in right now, If you're watching the cable news networks, if you're paying attention to what's going on, it is like this, this torrent river of waters that is gushing and going in a direction towards hopelessness. And you can hear some people that are a little more hopeless than others. And if you get into that stream, into that river, it will carry you away. It will carry you away. Away. Maybe it carries you away for five minutes, ten minutes. Maybe you, you, you go on a day or two and you gotta, you gotta shake yourself out of it. You have to realign your perspective. You have to get up to the top of the mountain. You remember I talked about last week living above the fog? You gotta get above the fog, above the situation. You have to see God. And I think this psalm gives us that picture. The psalmist, David, he is, yes, he is discouraged. Yes, the circumstances have not changed. It's still looking bad out in our world today. They still don't know all the answers. You got experts over here, and you got experts over here, and they're fighting with each other. The politicians are fighting with each other. The experts are fighting with each other. One expert says you can't wear a mask, you shouldn't, it's bad for you. Another expert says you better wear a mask or you're going to die. You got on both ends of the spectrum. So we're in a world that is conflicted, that is divided. We must Look above. We must have a perspective change if we are going to tap into the joy that belongs to us. Do you believe that? You know, my favorite, my favorite movie of all time, I don't know what your favorite movie of all time is, but my favorite movie of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. Does anybody else like that movie? Hey Amen. I, I, I love you even more. <laughs> you know, I make my kids watch it. Reagan started watching it when she was an infant. She doesn't really know what's going on, but when they were younger, they just, they'd fall asleep. It's a long movie. It's over two hours long, you know, two hours and 10 minutes long. And we first started watching it with the kids. It was black and white. And they were like, oh, dad, we got to watch a black and white movie. So then I said, okay, I'll buy the colored version. So we watched the colored version. But now the kids will sit through the whole movie. We watch it every year when we're decorating our Christmas tree the day after Thanksgiving. 
But what I love about It's a Wonderful Life is that it speaks to what we're talking about right now. It speaks to real life. So who's the main character? Let's do a quiz. Who's the main character? What's his name? George Bailey. Amen. You win the prize today. George Bailey. And George Bailey, he's, he's, he is played by Jimmy Stewart, one of the best actors of all time. George Bailey, what, what do you know about George Bailey's life? George Bailey has hopes. George, George Bailey has dreams. What are his hopes and his dreams? His hopes and his dreams are that he's going to leave Bedford Falls. He wants to get out of Dodge and he never wants to come back just to visit on holidays. That's all he wants. He wants to go on ships. He wants to see the world. He wants to go to Europe. He wants to go and travel. And he, he wants to become an engineer. He wants to build buildings and skyscrapers. And you see that in the beginning of the story. But what happens to George Bailey? He never leaves Bedford Falls. He never leaves Bedford Falls. He's waiting on his brother. He's waiting on his brother to come back. His brother was supposed to come back, take his place in the family business, the building and loan business, but he never comes back. He was waiting for him from college. Then he, got, then, then he went off into war, and George couldn't go to war. Why? Because of his, his bad ear. And so he waited for his brother. His brother gets back from war, and, and then he gets back from war, and his brother is married, and he married, and, and his brother married a rich woman that, that had a, a her, her, his father-in-law had a job for him, and his brother left. So what is George Bailey? He's stuck in Bedford Falls. So here's the culmination of the story. Long story short, I'm kind of telling you the whole movie, in case you haven't seen it, but he's stuck in Bedford Falls. What happens is, is that some money gets missing from the building and loan. And now it's a significant amount of money. And so now he's getting accused of money laundering, of stealing the money. And so now he's searching all over Bedford Falls for the money and he's upset and he's angry. And then he gets to the point he's lost hope and he's thinking about committing suicide. So he comes up snowy night at a bridge. He's standing by the bridge looking over into the water and he gets off and he is about to jump. But what happens? Clarence. You win the prize too. Clarence jumps in an angel sent from God jumps in and so George Bailey jumps in thinking he's saving another person who tried to commit suicide but it was actually his guardian angel and so Clarence comes and Clarence is like this is a hard case I don't know what to do so they come up with a plan God and Clarence and they say we need to change George Bailey's perspective we need George Bailey to see the world differently he needs a perspective shift and what was the perspective shift it was a shift of perspective to show George Bailey what it, what it would be like in Bedford Falls if he never existed. So he went and walked around. Nobody knew him. All the people had impacted, giving loans to f- struggling families to build houses. Now they lived in old man Potter's slums. And people that he gave a chance, they never got a chance. And all the people he impacted for good, they never knew him. And so he began to see that his life actually meant something. He began to see that his life had value and purpose and meaning. And so he snapped out of it and everything returned and and he begged Angel, he begged Clarence, oh, bring me back, bring me back, bring me back. And he woke up and everything was back to what it was before. So do do you remember the scene, George Bailey? running through Bedford Falls after he's got everything back. He's running through, it's an epic scene. He's running through the streets of Bedford Falls. It's Christmas Eve night. It's snowing. And he's running around Bedford Falls and he looks at the building and loan building which he used to despise. It's still there. It's still there. His dead-end job is still there. It hasn't changed. But who changed? George Bailey changed. He ran by and he looked at it. He said, Merry Christmas, you old building and loan. Merry Christmas, this building. Merry Christmas, this. And he looked at old man Potter in his window. 
laughing and mocking George Bailey. He says, and Merry Christmas to you too. And he gets back. Where does he go? He goes to his house. It's the same house, just falling apart. The same, uh, what do you call that little, the banister thing on top of it. It's still broken. He puts his hands on it and he kisses it. Because he, he loves it now. What happened in George Bailey's life? He joyfully embraced the providence of God in his life. His circumstances did not change, but he had a perspective change. Our circumstances, they're going to try to rob us of our joy and steal our joy that we have in Christ. But we need in our life today, when you, whatever circumstances you're going through, you need to run through the streets of Bedford Falls like George Bailey. And you need to look at all the things, all the circumstances, all the things that you thought, God, I wish this would change. I wish this would be different. Why can't this happen? How? Why? When? Your your own version of Psalm 42. And you need to stop. You need to shift and you need to look up and you need the joy of embracing God's providence in your life. Your circumstances are going to be this. You're going to leave here. Your circumstances will probably still be the same. But we can find joy in the middle of discouragement when we look up. When we rest in God's providential work in our life. And my prayer for us here today is that we would pray, Lord, help me to see from your perspective. Lord, help me to not focus only on what I don't see or on what I don't like. Let's be like the psalmist. Yes, write your own version of Psalm 42. But don't leave out the verse 5 and 11. Yet I will put my hope in God. Yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Don't leave out those verses in your life. Paul did in, in Romans 5. Look at this. He says, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Colossians 1.24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He has, this is this paradox. He, Paul, the apostle, had a, had a perspective shift like George Bailey had. He rejoices in his sufferings. He takes joy because he knows that God providentially is at work even in the middle of my suffering. So then he can still take joy. He can still walk in joy. 2 Corinthians 6.10, this is the picture of the Christian life. As sorrowful, yet rejoicing. As poor, yet making rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is where we live. We are sorrowful, yet we have the right perspective, yet we are rejoicing. We're, We're poor, we're lacking, yet we've been made rich. We have everything. As having nothing, yet having everything. It's that perspective of George Bailey. This was the perspective of the psalmist. David. So discouragement is the enemy of joy, but a right perspective realigns our vision. And lastly, as we conclude here tonight, this is the culmination. This is where we were headed here this morning. Unshakable joy comes from unfailing love. Discouragement will rob us of our joy, and we must make sure that we have a perspective change in our life. But I want you to know here today that unshakable joy comes from unfailing Love. And this is where I want to end, looking at the unfailing love of Christ. Look at Psalm 42, verse 8. Let's go back to verse 8. To me, this is the highlight of the whole psalm. But each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. God's love for us in Christ is the foundation of our joy. 
That is why our joy is unshakable. That is why joy belongs to us because of God's unfailing love. God's love for us in Christ is the foundation of joy. So how did God love us? Can I refresh your memory? How did God love us? Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he loved you. And that's how he loved me. He died for his enemy. We were enemies of the cross of Christ. We wanted nothing to do with God or his ways. And he loved us when we were in our state of rebellion and sin against him. That is the picture of God's unfailing love. That he loves us when we don't love him. He loves us when we are unlovable. He loves us when we're discouraged. And we're saying things we should never say. He loves us when we make mistakes. He loves us when we fail. He loves us before we ever knew him, before the foundations of the world. He set his love upon us through Christ. That's the picture of the gospel. That's what makes Christianity separate from every other world religion. Every other world religion, the foundation of it is that man has to try to prove his love to God by good works, by climbing the ladder of good works. Christianity is is that God came down to man. God came down to us. This is the picture of his unfailing love. He came down to meet us. He came down to the cross. He took our punishment and the wrath that we deserved. In Luke 23, the picture of the crucifixion. Christ is on the cross. He has two sinners, one on the right and one on the left. And what does he say? In the middle of all of that, the mocking, the ridiculing, the spitting, the gambling for his clothes. What does he say? He looks and he prays. He looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's the unfailing love of Christ. And I love the picture in verse 8 of Psalm 42. He pictures the day and the night. Each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon us. You may wake up, we may wake up to the same temporary circumstances, but each day the love of Christ is poured upon us through our relationship with him. As you open the word of God, each day you open the word of God and you read the truths of scripture that point to Christ. It's his love being poured onto you, his unfailing love poured into your life. And each night, don't you see that picture in Psalm 42? He says each day he pours his unfailing love upon us. His mercies are new every morning, but at night, have you been, have you laid awake at night? Have you had circumstances, discouraging circumstances that keep you up at night? I've been there right right, right now. I'm being kept up at night because my two-year-old Lincoln keeps kicking me in the back. Currently, that's why I'm awake at night. But I've had times, and I know you have too, where you're laying awake at night and you're writing your own version of Psalm 42. How? Why? When? How? Why? When? And your wheels are spinning. What does the psalmist say? That he will sing, that I will sing his songs in the night. Each night we may still have the same thoughts that attempt to rob us of our sleep, but each night we can sing the songs of the limitless love of God, the limitless mercy of God, the limitless grace of God. When we're on our back looking up at night, we can say, God, yeah, I don't know how, why, when, but I will Focus on the unfailing love of Christ. Day and night, the circumstances on the outside may look the same, but inwardly our hearts are filled with joy. There's an old hymn that I love. 
It's called the love of God. I love the hymn called the love of God. Have you heard that song before? Beautiful lyrics. A portion of that song, that hymn, was written by a prisoner over 200 years ago, scribbled on the wall of a prison. And so in 1948, another man found those words inscribed on the walls of the prison, and he continued to write the rest of the song. But here's a section. I'm going to read the whole song to us about the love of God. This is what was inscribed on the walls in that prison. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. And then in 1948, the songwriter continued. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. I love this section. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Isn't that beautiful? Look it up, the love of God. Unshakable joy comes from unfailing love, that love of God. Our joy is unshakable because it is founded upon the everlasting love of Christ. Our joy is not founded on temporary things. Have we learned that lesson yet? I think we've all learned that lesson. Our joy is not founded on cars and money. And You know, at the rate they're giving away money now, it's going to cost $500 for a gallon of milk. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not in our possessions. We know that. We need to be reminded of that. That true joy doesn't come from temporary things. True joy in the life of the believer comes from his unfailing love that has been shed abroad in our hearts. So in these times of physical, mental, and emotional difficulty, may we rest all we are on his unfailing love. That's my prayer for you, that you would rest all you are on his unfailing love. So I got a picture I want to show you as we close. This is the ending here, but I think it's a great illustration. Have you seen those punching bags that you buy for you? Maybe you bought one for your kid. I got a picture here to show you. You seen one of those? What happens? You know, that, that kid, he can punch that thing over and over and over again. What's going to happen to it every time he punches it? He's going to punch it, comes back up. Punch it, comes back up. It's amazing. He can take out all of his aggression. He, he can get all of his wiggles out and knock it down and knock it down and knock it down, but it keeps popping back up every single time. What is it about that little toy that keeps it popping back up? Do you know what it is? There's the weight on the bottom. There's weightiness on the bottom. There's substance on the bottom of that toy that it doesn't matter how many blows, how many times that that little kid punches that bag because there's weight on the bottom, the toy's going to keep popping back up. I'm here to tell you today, this is the culmination of my message right here. This is Christian joy. This is the life of the Christian. Cancer, disease, financial lack, 
whatever it is. You, you name the situation, the, the loss of a loved one, coronavirus, a crazy culture and society that we live in, depression, anxiety, the blow after blow after blow. We can be, beat, we can be beaten down, but what happens? We get back up again. Why? Because at the deep core of who we are as believers, we have a weightiness to us. We have a substance in our life. We have something that is the anchor point for our life. It's called the love of Christ. It's called the grace of God. It's called the faithfulness of God. It's called that his mercies are new every morning. That yes, the day may knock us down, but we're going to wake up and we're going to get back up because we have substance in our life. Your ability to recover is because of Christ. It's because of the weightiness on the inside of you, the love of God on the inside of you. The unfailing love of God is the substance of your life that anchors you. It's the core of our unshakable joy and it pushes us back up. And it reminds me of Romans 8. What shall separate us from the love of God? So tribulation, shall distress, so nakedness, so danger, shall sword culminates in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor coronavirus, nor anything else present or to come. I don't know what's going to come. Do you know what's going to come? I don't know. I didn't know all this was going to happen. What's to come? How, why, when? I don't know. But what I do know is that no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. I'm done. I love you. And I, I have been feeling the pressure that you've been feeling during this time. And this is what was on my heart to share with you. I want you to hang on to the joy that belongs to you. I don't want you to let any circumstance in your life knock you down. And you forget. And you forget the weightiness of your life. You belong to Christ. If you're a Christian, you are his. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't belong to him. You have not placed your faith in him. You can do that today. You can do that today. You can surrender to him today and you can have the weightiness. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have that weightiness in your life of substance that, that that's anchors you in the middle of this storm. We're going to have a prayer room right over here. We have some counselors that are going to be there. And I know we can't pray for you up close like we have used to have done during our prayer times. But there will be people in their prayer room. You go down this hallway. If you need prayer about anything, if you want to surrender to Christ, you want to proclaim him as your Lord and Savior, or you want prayer about anything, They'll stay six feet from you, but, but they can pray from you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this unshakable joy that belongs to us in Christ. God, I thank you for your people, Lord. I pray, God, that they would stand on the truth of your word, that no matter what comes in their life, that they can lean on you, that you are the substance of their life, that though they are discouraged at times, the love of Christ, the unfailing love of Christ is the anchor of their life. We thank you for all these things. Bless your people here today. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week.